the Talking Shop with Teresa and Bree. This is a show where we dish out lots of tips and advice for mystical and spiritual business owners and service providers. Now, if you're wondering, what does that mean? What is a mystical business owner exactly? Well, that could be a tarot card reader. It could be somebody who does Reiki or healing or any type of intuitive work, even mediums, uh, you know, astrologers. All of you guys, we are pointing the finger at you. If you do any other kind of spiritual or mystical, you know, practice as part of your profession, this is for you. This is why we do this show. And my name is Teresa and my lovely co-host. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I am Bree. And we've both been self-employed mystics running our own businesses for decades upon decades. We know what goes into running a successful business, and we know how much heart, grit, and hustle it takes to get your business afloat and keep things rocking along. So we do this show together once a month because we love sharing the business strategies that we've learned over the years, and we love seeing our fellow mystics thrive and succeed. In each episode of Talking Shop, we tackle a different topic, and we often feature a special guest. Today's topic is a really, really big one. The title of the show is The Price is Right for You. And our guest is the wonderful, fabulous, oh so awesome, we love him, love him, love him, Fabeku Fatun Miche of Fabeku.com. And I'm going to spell that for you guys. It is S-A-B-E-K-U.com. Thanks for tuning in to listen, and let's get this show started. And Fabeku, thank you for joining us. How are you? Yay! <laughs> uh, that's probably the best and most uh, enthusiastic intro ever. Thank you. I love that. And I'm super excited <laughs> to be here, and thank you for having me twice. Not once, but twice. How awesome is that? Thank you. Well, we couldn't right, resist to have a repeat. Yes, we couldn't <laughs> resist an encore. You know, we we didn't want you to just be like a a one one time thing because uh, we just love you, and we're also looking for an excuse just to hang with you. So let's let's just admit this that. right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let's get in front of that. That's right. That's right. We wanted a committed relationship, not a one nighter. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so, Pabeku, we are so thrilled to have you here, and this must be a pretty hot topic because I. Uh, we've actually had people send in a few questions really early. In fact, I have somebody oh, cool. who sent in a question three days ago. So this is telling you right now how jazzed people are about this topic. It's a hot, That's sticky awesome. one. Kind of like the weather right now. It's really hot and sticky here. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. So I want to get right to one of these questions. In fact, we're going to tackle the two questions that came in right away. The first one is from Ambergris who is writing from Newcastle-upon-Tyne. I hope I really said that right. And Ambergris asks, I would like to start charging, but I'm inhibited by the idea because at the moment my readings are not contrived and accurate, uh, that sometimes even I'm taking aback. I'm not wanting to lose this ability, but I am needing to make money. How can I get through the barrier? Thank you. Yeah, that's a big question. So I think, you know, I, here's the thing. I think the first thing that we have to understand is that anytime we are a part of a community, whatever whatever communities that we sort of self-select into, uh, we're automatically plugged into the archetypes of that community. And with that, these archetypes, uh, they shape us, right? These archetypes have these kind of, uh, shaping influences, and sometimes they're awesome influences, and sometimes uh, they're really shitty influences. And uh, I think that within uh, within the spiritual communities, I think there are a lot of really shitty, outdated, unhelpful archetypes uh, that should uh, fall to the wayside at this point. And the idea that uh, we somehow shouldn't be charging for our work if it's spiritual, or that that by doing that, that will somehow impact our gifts. Uh, I think, first of all, that that's uh, total bullshit, and I think it's one of the main reasons that people uh, who do spiritual work struggle. And so the first thing we have to realize is that we're being uh, affected 
by these archetypes, and we have to uh, sort of consciously unplug from them. And, you know, the cool thing is that being uh, spiritually oriented folks, that, you know, most of us know how to do that, or at least that, you know, it's not a it's not an alien idea. Uh, but that's really only half uh, half of the puzzle, right? So we have to unplug from these archetypes that are unhelpful, but then we have to plug into something else, and we have to we have to replace the shaping influence. And this is where I think that uh, plugging into your own genius, uh, inventing new archetypes that that support this idea of being fully engaged spiritually, uh, on fire, talented, able to do whatever you want to do, and making big piles of money at the same time, whatever that means for you. Uh, you know, that's that's the archetype that I would love to see sort of collectively built and supported uh, in spiritual communities. And, you know, to me, at the end of the day, I think that uh, we really have to drop the idea that not charging or charging a little or being broke is somehow some act of spiritual service. Uh, I think that that's kind of a weird distortion that's, that's been carried on for too long. And... Um, yeah, the idea that it's somehow going to affect your gift, uh, you, you know, drop the story with that because it's, it's totally not true. And at the end of the day, you know, I think that the work that spiritually oriented people do, I mean, it, it provides this critical uh, soul level support for people. And there's absolutely no reason that you shouldn't be as well paid as anybody else. Uh, but, you know, as long as we're hooked into these weird shitty archetypes, that, that becomes a really difficult thing to do. So, Unplug, create a new archetype, and uh, you know, embrace the idea that that making money for what you do is not is not a bad, wrong, weird, problematic thing at all. I totally agree, a hundred percent. And you know, I I will say that I think I function better when I'm not broke because I'm not stressing out. Well, freaking exactly. Out. Right. So that's yeah. the thing. It's like how how do you how do you plug in? and access this kind of state of flow that, I mean, everybody needs, whether you're doing spiritual work or, or accounting or building websites, whatever, it doesn't matter. How do you plug into that when you're constantly freaked out about how am I going to pay the bills? Can I put gas in my car? Can I, you know, can I feed myself? Can I, you know, can I keep the lights on? Uh, or not, not even that. If it's not even at that basic level, but how do I take time off work to recharge? How do I get a massage when I need it? How do I, you know, w- whatever it is, how do you maintain that mojo in the absence of, of uh, appropriate fuel. I don't think you can. And this is where I think at some point this idea uh, is just not sustainable. You know, you because to me, I you know, it, so in spiritual circles, right, we all, we all hear this money is energy kind of thing. I don't love that. Uh, I don't love that idea because it, it's, it feels a little intangible. To me, I look at it, money is fuel. And, you know, you need fuel in your car. You get up every morning and eat breakfast. Nobody thinks you're an asshole because you eat breakfast in the morning, right? Nobody thinks you're an asshole when you put gas in your car. So nobody should think you're an asshole for charging money for what it is you do. It's fuel. And it fuels you and what you need and want to do in the world. It allows you to to show up and, and take care of yourself and to support other people in the work that they do by giving them money. So you need fuel, period. And if you don't, at some point, you will run out of gas, and, and what do you do then? Then nobody benefits because you can't do the work that you want to do. You can't share your gifts. People can't benefit from it, and, you know, then you have to end up doing something else for money. So it, it's a lose, lose, lose just all across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and totally I think that's agree. the part about recognizing that you're plugging in to a problematic archetype is really important there because – if you don't see that, then you'll carry that belief with you, and it can become a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy where you're not making money um, from your gifts because you're plugged in to a really bad idea. Yeah, and the problem is that, that, that this archetype has been supported for forever, and uh, what's interesting to me is, is how many spiritual people actively feed that archetype. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're you're cutting yourself off at the knees, and so that you're you're sort of encouraging other people not to charge. You, you get shitty with people when they do spiritual work and charge for it, uh, and then then you feel weird about not being able to charge or make money for your own stuff. It's like we have to stop feeding the archetype. It, it we just have to stop feeding it, 
and and replaced it with something else. But to me, and you know, like I hear sometimes a lot of spiritual people say, well, you know, the people people sort of outside of my circle, the wider community, doesn't really get the value of what I do. But to me, that's a step two problem. The spiritual community doesn't get it on the whole because mm-hmm, this conversation mm-hmm. happens way too often. So let's not even fucking worry about people at step two. Well, let let's take care of ourselves first. And let's all focus on building this new archetype and plugging into that before we give a shit about what people two or three steps removed from us think about our work. That's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Right on. Yeah, I completely agree. And that leads into our other question then, speaking about worrying about money. Uh, Cheryl from Cobble Hill sent this question. My chronic worries about money or the loss of it and resources associated with it seems to have patterns I recognized from back in my early childhood, even though my family did not appear to go without. This leads me to believe that I came in with this issue to resolve, something from another lifetime possible. And if so, how do we clear or resolve issues, beliefs that have perhaps plagued us for many lifetimes? Yeah, so, you know, for me, I'm, I, so I I tend to deal with this stuff pretty pretty pragmatically. I don't, I don't necessarily care so much where it came from. I think that there, I think we can do kind of a lot of, of uh, unintentional tail chasing with that kind of stuff. And, uh, and not only that, but I think that, you know, if we, if we think it came from a past life as opposed to this one or whatever, it, it becomes this, this capital T thing all of a sudden. And it doesn't have to be. There's something that's unhelpful. So let's deal with it. And I think to me, it's like, at the end of the day, there's a there's a strong uh, identity component with with things like this that we've that we've carried with us forever. We've we've built this into our identity, and it's the way that we identify. It's the way we see ourselves. It's the way uh, we, it, it shapes our sense of possibility. And so, to me, it's like that's that's really the the level we need to work with it. You know, it's like how has this thing impacted my identity? How is this sort of adversely shaping my sense of possibility? And what what would be possible if I were able to inhabit a different identity, right? One that wasn't so wrapped around this this thing that that's kind of always been a thing. And so, you know, if if you're somebody that likes to do ritual, then you know, do a ritual to step out of this unhelpful identity and step into another one. If you're somebody that likes to pray, then pray. If you if you are creative, then do a painting of this new identity, whatever it is. But you need to be able to, to uh, sort of uh, have a, a tangible sense of who you would be without this and, and as, as fully as possible inhabit that and start looking at life through those eyes. And to me, it's really more about building up this new identity than, uh, you know, how we deal with this other st- other stuff. Because when you plug into this identity that doesn't carry that belief, then that belief falls away because it's no longer coherent with the identity that you're carrying. And so that's where I focus. It's like I would rather strengthen a new muscle than than necessarily worry about why this muscle got, this other muscle kind of got banged up in the first place. You know, it's like let's let's shore up a new set of eyes that you can you can use as a way to to see what's new and what's possible uh for yourself. Mhm. Yeah. Absolutely. That's super, super critical. So, you know, I think that this question is related to exactly what you were just talking about with identity and it's one that is frequently asked. So, what is the biggest mistake people make around setting rates? for services or products? And again, we're talking about our spiritual people. Oh, boy, that's a big question. Uh, <laughs> how much like, how time long do we have? have? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Precisely that. Uh, okay, so let me, let me, I think that uh, if I had to boil it down, I think the most common mistake that people make is uh, we set our prices by comparing our shit to other people. And the thing is, all of the the business blah blahs encourage people to do this, right? So when you're pricing your stuff, they tell you go look at 20 people who do something similar to what you do, figure out the pricing spectrum, and figure out where you land on it. And that sounds like really logical advice, except it's it's complete shit advice. And the reason it's shit is because it's 
based on uh, of this flawed premise that dollar figures are somehow these these concrete uh, objective uh, pieces of data. They're not. The, the money is the most flexible, elastic, weird thing ever. And when you look at somebody's dollar figures, you're looking at their own money lineage, their identity stuff, their shit around money, what other people have told them, what they should do, what they shouldn't do. You think you're looking at something concrete. It, it's not at all concrete. And so when you compare yourself to other people and you price yourself in relation to that, then you end up weaving everybody else's shit into your money. It doesn't make any sense. And, you know, so then, then people say, well, like, don't I have to fall on the spectrum? No, you don't. All you have to be able to do is transmit the value of what you do clearly. And if you can do that, it doesn't matter whether you're on the spectrum or not. And if you can't do that, then pricing yourself within that spectrum isn't going to save your ass anyway. So it comes down to value. It, you know, it's not about... Uh, well, you know, Boo Boo here has 10 years experience and I only have three, but this person has eight. It's, that's fucked math. That doesn't work. That can't work. So you have to find better and clearer and more coherent uh, ways of, of putting dollar figures on things than this whole comparison thing. As, as logical as it sounds, I really believe it's some of the shittiest advice that's out there. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. Right, but, I you know... Think- so many of us, um, you know, I've been, I've even bought into that advice and uh, have followed that as logical thinking. So your way makes so much more sense, and it feels more authentic. But it's always been, you know, what I've discovered, just kind of standard advice. So what you're saying is it's, to it's totally the standard. standard. Absolutely. And the thing is, I mean, I get it. I bought into it too when I was initially trying to figure out consulting rates. I spent 10 days looking at people's websites and I'd like number markers and charts and shit all over. And I'm just like, what the, none of it made any sense. And none of it had anything to do with the money that's coherent for the value that I bring. That's the problem. And, you know, when you, when you price yourself based on all of this other external stuff, we think that we've made some loud, you know, logical sound decision. But we really haven't. We've just we've just pulled more or less a random number. And if that number doesn't feel coherent for you, if it doesn't, if it's not the right fit, that will affect everything that you do. It will affect your marketing. It'll affect the way you show up. It'll affect the way people respond. This one thing can throw everything off. And that's why, sure, the advice was totally common. And it, it's a massive problem. And it, it sort of throws people off balance from Jump Street, and then everything they do from that point forward is affected in some way, whether they realize it or not. And, you know, if, if you, so if your sort of arbitrary point on the spectrum turns out to be 100 bucks, but for you, $200 makes more sense, you're going to be pissed and resentful every time you show up for $100. Who wins there? Nobody. Nobody mm-hmm. wins. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And, and just because you think that that dollar figure makes sense, you're screwing yourself and you're screwing the people you're working with. It, it, it just it doesn't work for all kinds of reasons. I think this also really stems from a lot of fear, the fear about, you know, yeah, sure. setting the rate, the fear about um, accepting payment in the first place, you know, all of that. Uh, can you speak to us about where does all this fear around charging come from? Because I know I sometimes feel flipped out about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. uh, I think everybody does, and I because at the end of the day, uh, you know, money in some ways is like this weird form of acceptance. And if I look at you and say, "Wow, you, that's what? How much are you charging? That's a lot," then it's easy to translate it as they've just rejected me. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's this fear around uh, somebody thinking our price is too high, or somebody. Uh, you know, thinking like, who do you think you are to charge that much money? Or again, in the, the spiritual circles, who are you to charge money at all? Because this is some gift and it should be free and you're an asshole. And not not only am I rejecting your business, but now I'm basically saying you're some spiritual fraud because you're charging money. So, you know, now it goes even deeper than that. And, you know, it, it the thing is, it, it, here's the thing. Anytime somebody says it's too expensive, it's almost never about the price. Ever. And, but, but we think it is, right? So we get all fucked up about it, and then everybody lowers the rates and, and all of the stuff. The thing is, when somebody, here's, what, here's what it means when somebody says it's too expensive. All they're saying is, I'm not able to see the value of what it is you do. 
And that's on us, right? So when we hear that's too expensive, we need to go back and look. First of all, are we clear about the value of what we do? Because with all the people I work with and all, what, all the stuff that I do, when I ask people the question, how clear are you on the value, nine out of ten times there's a long, awkward silence. And the answer is usually not very, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to look at whether we're clear about the value of what we do as the first step. Then we have to look at are we transmitting that value clearly? Are we able to stand up and confidently, you know, not being some arrogant asshole, but confidently say, what I do is amazing. I think it would help you. Please give me money and let's do this thing. If you can't do that or if, the, if even the idea of doing that makes you kind of crunch up and, and pull your shoulders up to your ears, then you think, the, you think the problem is money. The problem is not money. And so every time somebody says that's too expensive, you're going to think your pricing is wrong. It's not, it's not about that. It's about the transmission of value. And uh, I, don't, I don't think there's enough people who get that. So, you know, re- we think that rather than own the value of what we do, it's easier just to underprice it or give it away for free because then that way nobody, nobody will reject us or nobody will, will, you know, think we're some spiritual jerk because we're charging for what we do, whatever it is. And so then people do all these weird uh, distorted things around pricing and, you know, then they end up not making the amount of money they should be making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's huge. So, you know, I want to ask, what do people do? What, what do you advise people to do, to do to get clear about their value? And then my tag along question is, and because I think that the first part is going to answer this, what is the first thing that, you know, our people, our spiritual, mystical folks should consider when they set a price for their services or for their products? Yeah, so on the value front, you know, really at the end of the day, when it comes to value, you need to be able to ask the question, what, what changes in somebody's life after they work with you? And the problem with most conversations around value is that, uh, the conversation stays way too big picture. Uh, and this is, I think this is, this is extra true for spiritual folks. I work with a ton of spiritual folks. I work with a ton of coaches. Uh, I work with a ton of artists. And when I ask them this question, I always get these big abstract answers like peace and evolution and transformation. All that's fine, except nobody knows what the fuck that means. Nobody has any idea what that means. It sounds really sexy. And so when we land on it, we think we've gotten clear about the value. We haven't. Because those words actually don't mean anything. And so what we need to do when we, and I think that's a natural starting point, but when we get language like transformation and peace and evolution and, and you know, clarity and all this stuff, we need, to, we need to zoom in. We need to take it deeper. So what does that mean? What does that look like? What does that mean in the context of their, their day-to-day relationships? What does it mean with, uh, with their ability to be a friend or a parent? Or what does it mean in the context of work? Like, you know, really zero in and get it into concrete, mundane language, right? And so here's the thing. I think a really good sort of test or filter for, for value is when you've, gotten down the, when you've gotten the value where it needs to be, it, it's something that you should be able to ask somebody, hey, do you need this? And they should be able to give you a yes or no answer without even having to think about it. So if you say, do you need evolution? Do you need transformation? I, I don't know. Give me a minute, right? But if you say, you know, do you need the ability to sit down and talk to your partner about a hard subject without getting pissed? Or do you need to, to know the, the next two steps to take to move your dreams or business or life or love or health or whatever it is forward? People don't have to think about that. They know immediately whether they need that or not. And when you have that level of clarity, you can transmit it, and, and that's how people see the value. If you're talking in this big-picture way, it stays abstract. It feels abstract. And even though the words might sound kind of impressive and sexy, the fact that nobody knows what they mean, by the time they hit your PayPal button and see your dollar figure, there's a gap there. So it's like you're asking them, give me X amount of dollars, but they're still trying to figure out what peace and transformation and evolution and clarity means. And so they're probably not going to click that button. And so you have to close that gap, right? And so, so that's the value piece. And then in terms of the price setting thing, you know, there's a really simple 
uh, thing that I, I give to pretty much everybody that I work with to to come up with price. And, and I, people have used this for products. They've used it for retreats. They've used it for uh, really everything. And so when you think about what it is you're doing, start by coming up with two numbers. So the first dollar figure that you would come up with is a number that's so low that if somebody gave you that amount of money, it would really be like, what the fuck just happened? Like, I cannot believe that just happened. Uh, and then go to the opposite end. Think about a dollar figure that's so high that if somebody said, hey, how much does that thing cost? You wouldn't even want to say the number out loud. Like, it would just make you want to run screaming from the room. And then what you're looking for is find the number somewhere in between those two points that you can own it. Like, you can answer the, hey, how much is a cost question without fainting or freaking out. But it needs to feel a little bit uncomfortable. It needs to feel a little stretchy. Don't find a number that makes you comfortable because I promise you, if the number's comfortable, it's too low. I, I guarantee you it's too low. So the number needs to have a little bit of stretch to it. It needs to have a little bit of discomfort to it, and that's kind of the, the safeguard against underpricing. And and I think it's really about the, kind of the appropriate level of tension. So like when, I, when I'm sharing this stuff with people, I say like find the – like we're looking for like yoga stretching here, right? So like on a scale of 1 to 10, it's like a 3, 4, maybe a 5 kind of thing. You're not looking for like 7, 8, 9, holy shit, I've just, you know, tweaked my back out kind of stretch. Not that. Like that's ridiculous. Uh, but it, it needs to have some kind of tension to it so that you're not uh, underpricing your stuff. And, you know, I I think it, it, it can come down to, to – uh, that simple. I mean, that's that's how I help most people get to pricing, and it has worked amazingly well. And the thing is, really, at the end of the day, it's about your internal coordinates, right? So you didn't land on the dollar figure after you compared 20 other people's shit. You landed on it based on what feels coherent and right in your body. And if that dollar figure is the right dollar figure, then that's the amount of fuel that you need to be able to show up at 100%. And that's what you have to be able to do in order to, to work, work at your best and to be able to, to sustain what you're doing. That's really brilliant advice. Yeah. Thank you. So mm-hmm. here's something that I think is, you know, we've already gotten some idea about getting clear about setting rates, but another really uncomfortable topic, in fact, this is a very uncomfortable topic in my household right now, is raising rates. And mm, I have not yeah. raised my rates for, you know, probably about a good three years. Uh, I think I raised my email rates two years ago. But anyhow, I haven't raised them in a while, and I'm always reluctant to raise them. And my husband is like, look, you are you're getting too much work. You're going to have to raise your rates. This is, you know, you're too cheap, blah, blah, blah. And I'm resisting all the way. So I want to know, what is your advice around raising rates? What's the best way to do it? How often should you do it? And what do you say to someone like me who's so resistant to this? Yeah, so uh, yeah, I think raising rates is always a, a dicey uh, thing. And, you know, it's, uh, well, it's not dicey, but it feels really dicey for, for most people. And I think that, uh, so, you know, the common advice basically is what you just said. When you find yourself uh, having too much work uh, and and you're feeling a little overextended, then that's when you raise the rates to kind of slow it down. And I, I get that, and I think that that, that can be uh, a, a legitimate consideration. I think that to me, and, you know, there's also people who just every year raise their rates, and, and you know, if that works and feels coherent, fine. Uh, to me, I the, the sort of metric that I use is uh, – when I'm when I'm no longer able to show up at 100%, when I'm no longer to f- able to feel excited about doing this thing, uh, then I know I'm not charging enough money. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but what's also interesting, and I, I think that's a big point, right? So if, if every time you get a PayPal notification, your first thought is, oh, fuck, then you're not charging enough money. Because, I mean, that's, you know, that, that shouldn't be the response when somebody sends us money. We should be stoked about it and uh, excited to be able to show up fully and do this thing. So if you're not charging enough money and you're feeling ugh every time you get a PayPal notification, then, you know, you have to fix that. Uh, the other thing I'll say, though, is I think that uh, I'm always really interested in, like, what's what's the coherent number for what you're doing? So, for example, for me, 
you know, I do this thing. It's like an all day long deal, and it's uh, it's the first way that people interact with me, and it's fifteen hundred bucks. It's been that way from the beginning, four or five years now. I've never raised it. Uh, at this point, I'm consistently booked four to six months out, and have been for years. All common business advice says raise your rates, but the thing is, when I when and this is where I think as as spiritually oriented entrepreneurs, we we uh, have the opportunity to approach things a little bit differently. When I feel into raising the rates, it doesn't make sense. I know that this dollar figure is a coherent number, and it flies in the face of all of the, the advice that, that the business people give, uh, but I know right now this is a coherent number, and that may change at some point, and I'm totally open to that. So I don't, I don't necessarily know. In other words, I don't think there's a sort of automatic when this happens, raise your rates, except in the case of uh, when you feel resentful or you're not able to show up. And if that's the case, then yeah, you have to fix that because that will start that kind of frequency left unchecked will start to slow everything else down in your business uh, because that shit has to be addressed. And so if that's happening, then, yeah, I mean, you, you have to raise the rates. And, you know, I think that there there are ways to, to raise them that, that uh, you know, are not problematic for people and uh, at least not not uh, that problematic for people. But, uh, yeah, it's tricky. It's a, it's a tricky, not easy thing. Um, so to me, I think it really goes back to, you know, how do you feel, you know, every time the, the PayPal notification lands? If you're not feeling great, then raise the rates. You have to fix it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, along with that, because, and you mentioned this, sometimes your people freak out on you when you do that. Um, I think your advice is really solid, which is, you know, if you do the work to find a coherent number in the first place, you know, you'll probably be able to stick with it for a while, right, for several years. Um, but when you do raise your rates and your people kind of freak out on you, how do you handle it? How do you tell your people to deal with that? So to me, the the key around raising rates is really how how it's communicated. I think, first of all, never apologize. Never. Uh, I see too many people announcing a rate change with something that actually feels like an apology as opposed to an announcement. You have no reason to apologize for raising your rates. If that number is no longer coherent, raise it. And prices always go up. That's the nature of life on this planet. Anyone that doesn't get that is not paying attention. Uh, that's how things go. Uh, so you, you don't have to apologize for raising your rates. I think that, 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 that to me that's just a weird uh thing because it it's it's saying you know i'm i'm doing something to make something more coherent and i'm really sorry what i no don't don't apologize first of all uh i also think that that you know pricing is a filter and uh one of the things that happens is and this kind of goes back to to when to raise the rates uh, I, you know, the more we do the work, the more it grows, the more it expands, the more potent it becomes, the more depth it, it gathers and all of that. And at some point, you'll realize that what you're bringing doesn't match what you're receiving. And so you have to raise what you're receiving so that, so that, that they match. And, but a part of that is that some of the people in your current audience may not be able to raise to meet this new octave of what it is you're offering. So when you raise the rate, they're going to say, well, fuck it, I'm out. And I get that that's uncomfortable, but that's necessary and appropriate. And sure, there may be a little gap where some people kind of stand up and leave their seat and the seats are empty for a second, but the seats will always fill back up. I mean, especially, again, if you're clear about the value and can transmit it clearly, it's really a temporary thing. Uh, and, you know, again, I think there's ways to communicate pricing stuff so it's less of a shock. You know, you can always, uh, you know, announce that in three months from now I'll be raising my prices. You know, you can book as much as you want between now and then, or you can kind of step it up and say, you know, I'm raising my rates from, from 100 to 150 now, and then by the end of the year they'll be to 200, so you can, you know, kind of stagger it that way. So, uh, so it's less of a shock. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think that uh, we have to charge the, the money that's – we have to charge the price that's coherent for what we do. And uh, I also don't make other people's money stuff my problem. Um, I, don't, I don't have those conversations with people, you know. And, and it's interesting because 
because I'm clear on that and realize that that's not part of what I'm responsible for, uh, people don't show up with those kind of conversations in my world. It just, it just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so I think that we have to communicate it clearly. Uh, I think we, we should be smart about the way we do it. Uh, and I also think that we have to realize at the end of the day that, that pricing filters people out and that's necessary and appropriate and we, we're not responsible for other people's money shit. That's brilliant. Really brilliant. And, you know, you say that you don't have people have those conversations with you, but I get people who have those conversations. You know, every so often Mm. I'll come across a client who wants to haggle, you know, or they want to get a freebie, you know, and and sometimes they'll use a really manipulative sob story. And, And the thing is I'm a really friendly and I'm a kind person and I love to help people. And I always want to be kind, but I don't like that feeling of somebody trying to pull that, you know, showing up in my inbox saying, oh, my God, I've got all these problems. Please, can you just pull a card for me? Or they want to haggle my prices, get a discount, blah, blah, blah. You know, what might be the kindest but firmest way to handle something like this? I hate being a doormat. Yeah, and I'll tell you, so I don't have those conversations now, but I used to have them constantly. So I think that, that, this boundary thing is a work in, in progress, and it's something. It's a muscle that most of us have to build. It certainly was not my default position at all. I spent ten years having these conversations with people. So, uh, I, you know, I want to be clear about that part. Um, to me, you know, I, I think that it's it's good to be kind. It's good to be compassionate. I think that um, I also think it's important just to let people know. You know, if it's something you really don't want to talk about, uh, I think that you know, we can just kind of gently reinforce, hey, I hear you're having a hard time. I'm really sorry. These are the rates. You know, if if you want to move forward, here's how to do that. Uh, and then if they push it, then to me, the only appropriate response is I'm not available for this conversation, period. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the mm-hmm. end of it. I, I'm, I'm not going to go back and forth with you about it. I, I get that you're struggling. I'm sorry you're struggling. And we're this part of what I do is not open for conversation, so we're just not going to have it. And what I'll say, the way I've dealt with the the freebie stuff is, and this is really another reason I think that people need to be charging uh, the appropriate amount of money, because when you're making the amount of money that, that you should be making, it becomes easier to be generous in a way that I think is real and and good and beneficial. When When you give a freebie to somebody, when you're struggling to pay your own bills, that's well-intentioned, but it's not actually generous. You're you're damaging yeah. yourself in the process. And I don't. I think again, I, I get the intention behind it, but I think it's actually a really sideways thing to do. But when you're making more than enough money, when somebody really needs something, it's easy to say, "Hey, listen, I, I'll I'll do X for you. Uh, you know, no charge. Don't worry about it." And you're able to do that as an act of generosity in a way that's clean. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody should should be guilt tripped into uh, to discounting stuff or, or haggling. Uh, I think it's 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 inappropriate. And the thing is, most people wouldn't do that. Uh, most people wouldn't like that done to them, right? Like if you went to their job and were like, "Hey, I need you to do this. I know you make you know twenty bucks an hour, but how about we do it for twelve? Uh, they would probably tell you to get the fuck out. Uh, so the fact that <laughs> yeah. it, it seems yeah. okay to do it in reverse. Uh, it's really not okay, and so that's where I think we can have compassion, but we have to let people know I'm I'm not available for this. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think that's huge. I think that's really huge. So you know, Teresa mentioned it, and I want to tag onto it. I want to ask about discounts and what you think is going on when people are discounting their services. If it's ever appropriate, when that would be. But I also want to ask about some of the um, really manipulative things that people can do with pricing and not even know that they're doing it. So, for instance, not having prices front and center on their services, right, or their products, or having, you know, payment plans where you have wildly different rates depending on how a person pays. So I kind of want to ask about the various manipulation that happens on the other end, like on the end of the seller. 
Oh, you are so going to get me on a roll. Holy shit. Okay. Uh-oh. So, <laughs> oh, my God. I thought, I, I thought that this might be a place you had strong feelings. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, uh, all right. So when it comes to discounting and sales, I will tell you, uh, in the thousands of sessions I've had with clients, I have never said to anybody, you should discount what you do or put it on sale. Never. Not one time. Uh okay. I don't think it's a good practice. Uh, I think people do it uh, for a lot of reasons. I think most of them are not great. I think they're uh, they do it out of fear. They think their pricing is wrong. They you know they think that uh, they make themselves responsible for other people's money shit and try to solve that by by discounting things. All kinds of shit. I, I don't think discounts are a good idea, and I think they're not a good idea because. Uh, and I also think that people try to solve their own fuzziness around value by discounting. And that might work once or twice, but that's not going to fix the problem. And until you fix the problem, you're always going to have weird shit around money. And so to me, when you discount things, it it gets you sideways, uh, first of all, with the people that have paid full price. So if I paid you 200 and now all of a sudden you're discounting and it's 125 that that feels a little bit like a fuck you to the people that have showed up and given you two hundred bucks. I don't think that's great, mm-hmm. uh, and I and I don't think it's appropriate. Um, I think the the other the other issue with it is that when you when you make a, a practice of discounting stuff, you train people to only buy when you discount your rates, and that's a major problem. Uh, there's a, a business that I like, and I've, I've purchased some of their products, and uh, I realized the first time after I purchased it, like two days later, they, they ran this sale, and it was like half off or something crazy. And, you know, I don't, I don't shop based on price. It's not really – that's not a, a big uh, motivator for me. But I had a moment of like, wow, shit, that's weird. Like I just sent X amount of dollars, and now it would have been half. That's weird. And, they, and then what I realized, they do it all the time. And so it's like, well, why would anybody pay full price when they know that you're going to discount shit once a month or once a quarter or whatever it is? And, and why, why would you discount what you do unless the value of it has decreased? Because your price is your price. And unless the value is somehow diminished, why the fuck would you discount it? Because you're saying that this is worth less now. That, that doesn't make any sense to me. So no, I think that the discounts and sales and stuff, I just I doesn't I it's not something I, I get behind. I think it's a, a weird uh it's a weird thing to do that that usually comes from a lot deeper problems and causes uh a lot of uh a lot of uh, bigger problems. So uh in terms of the, the manipulative fuckery stuff, holy shit. I, I don't even know where to start with that. I think that um the first thing I will say and this applies to everybody within the sound of my voice, put prices on your website, period, period. There is never a case where that is not appropriate practice. All of the the, the blah blahs and peddlers of marketing fuckery will, will pretend that not putting prices is being savvy. It is not being savvy. It's an asshole move. There is nothing savvy about not making basic information available to people who would potentially be interested. Pricing is basic information. Don't make me write you for a price. Don't make me get on the fucking phone and have a 15-minute conversation with you to get your price. Don't make me click through all kinds of bullshit pages. Give me a fucking price. It's basic information. If you walked into a grocery store and nothing on the shelf had a price, and every time you wanted to put something in your cart, you had to go up to customer service and ask what the cost is, you would say, fuck this, and walk out, and you should. And people, people that do not put prices up on their site, I guarantee you, you're losing money. I, you, might, you can think you're being savvy all day long. You are losing money because people in general are not going to write you and ask what the price is for all kinds of reasons. Uh, and and it's, it's a bad practice. It's a shitty practice. Pricing is basic information. It should always be transmitted front and center. Uh, there is nothing savvy about not doing that. So, and yet still, there are plenty of blah blahs telling people the, the exact opposite. It, it's fucked. Put pricing on your website. And even 
And so then, you know, if like let's say you do some kind of customized stuff. People say, yeah, but what I do is individualized. Fine, give me a price range. I, you know, people are reasonable. If you, if you, what you do is is highly individualized, cool. Say then it runs from X to Y. That people get that. That's fine. But not putting prices up, it's just never an okay thing. It really is just not okay. Um, and in terms of this, I get what you mean with the payment plan thing. Honestly, I, I will just tell you directly, I think it's a dick move because uh, if yeah. you are going to offer payment plans to people, then that means that you recognize that they lack the financial resources to pay you in, in full on the front end. So increasing the price, that's just an asshole move. You're not doing anybody a favor and pretending that, like, this covers admin fees. What fucking admin fees are there with getting a PayPal? There's no admin fees associated with that. It's bullshit. And so, you know, if you want to do payment plans, fine. I think that that can be a great thing to do for people if that makes sense. But increasing the price, I I don't get that. I think that, again, that that feels like a not-so-subtle fuck you to people uh, and I don't think it's great. And so, you know, if you want to break up the price, fine. But raising the price, no. That's that's ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that 100%. I also found that kind of a little bit of an odd strategy. But, you know, people do, a lot of the gurus do preach things like this. And they preach things like having these discovery sessions where you get on the phone with somebody and once you have them on the phone, then you have to go into that awkward sales conversation. And right. I always thought that was so weird. Uh, I'm not uh, somebody who loves to do those conversations in the first place. So the thought of having somebody cornered, this is what it feels like to me, um, and trying to convince them then with a hard sell, I don't know, that just feels so wrong, especially for the type of work I do. I don't get that. Well, that's that's exactly what it is. It's it's So, you know, people say, you know, the, the, the blah, blah say, you know, get them on the phone, and that's when you can really sell them on what you do. Listen, if you can't communicate what you do through the copy on your site, you have some pretty significant problems that need to be addressed. And resorting to this kind of fuckery is not the fix for it. And most people have been through this enough now, they will not get on the phone for these air quote discovery sessions because they know there's – it's not a discovery session. It's a fucking timeshare pitch. Nobody wants that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I can guarantee yeah. you nobody really gives enough of a shit about what you're doing to sit through that when they know at the end they're going to be cornered. I think if, you know, if, if the work that you do requires a conversation before people commit, fine. But that's not the point to sell people. And if you do these things – and that's the whole thing. This, this – at some point, the idea of giving people the opportunity to talk to you before they committed made sense because it was a clean, honest thing. But then when it got turned into this, this act of manipulation, people see that stuff now and they're like, fuck it, I, I am not that interested. I will find somebody else. I, I will never, ever give money to people uh, who do that. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. If I need exactly what they do, I will find somebody else that uh, doesn't make me sit to that because it, it's a bullshit way of doing business. You're wasting people's time. You're wasting people's energy. Pricing should be available on the front end. And the thing is, people won't get on the phone because they have no idea what you charge. And what if they think it's $500 and you charge $5,000? Then all of a sudden, here's mm-hmm. what you do. When you, when you do that to people, you put them in a situation where they either have to lie to you or they have to say, I'm sorry, I can't afford that. Who the fuck wants to have to say that to somebody? That's an incredibly embarrassing thing to say. So getting people on the phone and putting them in the position to have to do that, again, that's not savvy marketing. It's a dick move. It's not okay. Right, and you know there's even some of these, some of these people will coach you that on how to coach people who say they can't afford it or who say of their course. husbands can't afford it. Oh, yeah. yeah. They yeah. actually tell you how to, like, move past that resistance. And I think, so, again, this is an icky conversation. I don't want to do that. Convince someone to go to right. debt. Well, and that's it. So here's, here's, the, here's the, the, the antidote that they give you. You know, say, well, are you really serious about making change in your life? Are you really, would, you, would you like to actually make an investment in yourself? Fuck off with that. It, it's condescending yeah. to speak to somebody that way. Don't. Well, if you were really serious about your spiritual development, you would get your credit. Fuck off. With that. That's absurd. And it's it, so they're actually the they're it's, actually like trying to shame someone. Of they're course. trying to shame you into like buying their thing. And the thing is, if that's what you have to do to sell what you're doing, something is wrong. 
something is wrong. These tactics are unnecessary. And this is the thing that I want to make clear. This isn't just about me ranting about how much I hate these tactics, which I do. The thing is, they're entirely unnecessary. And you, you are able to build a successful, thriving business without doing any of this shit. Any of it. And the people who sell this stuff are really good at scaring you into believing otherwise. And I am telling you, from my own direct experience and my direct experience of working with hundreds and hundreds of clients, this shit is not necessary. You don't have to do it. And if you have the right pieces in place, you don't have to resort to any of this shit. And conversely, if you don't have those pieces in place, that shit is not going to save your ass. I agree. Mm-hmm. And I also think, too, mm-hmm. when you're trying to, like, um, put prices or techniques, techniques, let's call it techniques, out there that are designed to get people to purchase out of fear or shame or guilt, I can't imagine how that shows up then when you work with those people. I, listen, I agree. I think that that... Uh, and I'll be clear, those those tactics are effective. I've never at any point in the years and years and years I've been criticizing this stuff, I've never once said they're not effective. They are effective. But I think that's an awfully expensive way to make money. If you have to poison people to get a PayPal uh, notification in your inbox, something's wrong. And again, I think yeah. I think it's extra weird and extra incoherent when people are in some kind of helping position, whatever that is, whether it's, uh, you know, energy healing or tarot or, or whatever, or coaching or whatever it is, and if you're poisoning people in order to get them the help that they need, you should really look in the mirror and figure out what's going on because that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. And I think that they're effective in the short term, but I think in the long term they're absolutely not effective because I, totally agree. I think people – People are getting more and more hip to these techniques. That was a very diplomatic way of saying it, Teresa. Um, <laughs> to these techniques, very, very Libra ascendant of you. Um, they, they're getting hip to them. Like they know, you know, they they know when you're inviting them into a sales call, and they're like, "Hell no, I don't want to do that." And I also think that the rate of return is really abysmal. You know, I think that, that, you know, people might buy into your thing like the first time, but they're not going to come back to you. They're not going to refer you to their people. And like that, I mean, that's, you know, that's what I've built my business on. Like I, my people have been with me forever, like through rate raises and everything else. And I think that that's so critical with your audience. And like, you're not going to have that if you try to dick people around. I agree, and I think that that's the thing. In order to have a thriving business, you have to be able to sustain relationships with your people. And if you are constantly doing these dick moves, these people are not going to stick around. And why should they? They they absolutely shouldn't stick around. And if if you are creating gaps in the relationship with your people for short term gain, you are going to have some enormous problems, uh, probably not too far down the road, because no relationships, no business. It's as simple as that. And so these practices that are toxic and weird and uh, twisty and manipulative, uh, yeah, at some point people will just say, I'm sick of it. You know, I, Even if your stuff is really good and valuable, at some point the bullshit is going to outweigh the value, and, and they're, they're going to bolt, and they should. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, right this on. is this is a really hot topic. You know, we could go on for a lot of hours, but we are coming near the end of the show, and we're getting ready to wrap this up. And Fabeku, you've got, I'm sure everybody in the audience, we've got a really full boat here tonight, really doing a lot of thinking now about this whole thing on pricing and all this other stuff. I mean, this is a this is a loaded subject, so it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much. This was, this was super helpful, and I, I know yeah. that it's going to help a lot of people in our audience because the stuff is sticky and it's hard, and you break it down so beautifully. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, you know, the, I just want to say that uh, I think the people that are out there digging into their, their souls to, to help other people, 
don't don't be ashamed to charge for what you do. Don't hide from that. Don't run from that. Uh, be able to to see and own the value and transmit it and put the dollar figures on what you do that will allow you to sustain what you do for the long run because people need what you do. It's valuable. It's necessary. And that means you need the fuel that you need to keep going. And there's there's no shame in that, none at all. So get clear, transmit the value, ask for the dollar figure that makes sense, and and plug into these, these new archetypes that are about thriving instead of this, this weird stuff around money. Rock on. So, Teresa, my love, as always, I want to know, what was your biggest takeaway? After oh, my God. Thank you. Now, come so on. Much, there's so many, right? <laughs> there's so many takeaways <laughs> in this thing. I really love the beginning talking about, you know, the whole spiritual thing and about changing the archetype. I think that is so incredibly brilliant because, you know, for artists, we always hear about the starving artists. Mm-hmm. And I think for, you know, spiritual people, it's the starving sacred artist. It's the same thing. Yeah. We, yeah. you know, are, we, we go by that whole idea, and I, I think it's really wrong. So I love, 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 Fabeku, what you said about that. Um, it's brilliant. And, Bree, what about you? What What's the big thing you got from what Fabeku is sharing here tonight? You know, I mean, again, like, there are so many things. I really love the emphasis on getting very specific, like, what changes in someone's life when they work with you. Like, that as a starter question I think is huge because I agree, like, being – you know, uh, having a background in philosophy as I do, like, I get the airy-fairy abstract language, and it's super not helpful when we're talking about what we do. So I so agree with that. And I thought it was a brilliant insight, this idea that money is a form of acceptance. Mm -hmm. I think that that is really, really critical. And I think that um, it, you know, it really changes your relationship to, with money to understand that when you're putting something out there, it's a form of acceptance. And so there's a fear of rejection, right, that is underneath that, that you really have to work with. And I just, I think that's huge, and a lot can be done with that. Mm-hmm. So right towards the end of each episode, we like to share a few fun things that we think you our lovely listeners might enjoy discovering. Sometimes it's business stuff. Other times it's not at all. So, Teresa, what is something that you've discovered recently or that you're into? And so, Beku, I want to hear from you, too. What are, what are you into right now? Ooh. Well, of course, you know, um, I'll go first here. Sorry, Fabeka. Look at me jumping right in here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm really into planners. I'm super, super, super into them, and I got my Filofax. Well, anyhow... My Filofax is what I use for keeping track of my client stuff. And I always am on the search for the perfect calendar for marketing. And I just got a new calendar. It actually starts in August 2016, so you know I'm very excited for next month. And it's by a company called Bandu. It's B-A-N dot D-O. You can find it on their website, but you can also find it, you know, at other booksellers like Amazon. And it's so cute. And what I love are when you open it up to the monthly thing, you've got your whole monthly calendar all laid out, which I love for doing my marketing, for planning, you know, all my blog posts and stuff. I love having that right in front of my face so I can think clearly and really make sure I keep on on top of my writing. So I'm all about it. And it's got stickers, and the cover says, I am very busy. <laughs> so, you know, you just can't go wrong with this thing. It's cute as hell. So that's my big thing. Fabeku, what are you obsessing with? What's something you've discovered lately that rocks your socks off? Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, wow. I don't even know what to start with that. Uh, so... Uh, see, so like when you start talking planners immediately, I'm like, wait, pins, stationary calendars, because like I'm kind of weird <laughs> about that too. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, like I've been placing uh, all kinds of orders with uh, jetpins.com. They've got like, it, this is, I'm just, I'll apologize to everybody in advance who loves pins because you're going to probably lose your mind on the site. But uh, yeah, they've got crazy pins and all, like I just got uh, like these new highlighter stuff because I keep everything. Uh, even though everybody, most people use these, these digital calendars, I'm super old school. I, I use a paper calendar and 
uh, color code all my stuff so I can figure out the, the rhythm for the month and what I'm doing. And uh, so, yeah, I just got some new highlighters and some weird uh, gold metallic pins. And uh, so I've spent uh, the last couple of days playing with old calendars and working out this new coloring system that uh, I'm probably way more excited about than I should be. So for me, really, it's like pins and uh, gold glitter markers are yeah, what the hell? That that's what I've got. <laughs> I love it. I am a stationary freak. So Baku, when I come to Ohio, we better not go to a paper store together. We will be right. in trouble. Will I will be, be snorting that glitter with you. <laughs> what about you, Bree? What are what are you into? Well, you guys know that I am also a pen stationary like a holic for sure. Um, and I maintain that the best. Yearly agenda is the Hello Kitty agenda. You have your calendar at the beginning, and then you have the week broken up. And, you know, my husband was like, this is crazy, Brianna. I don't believe that, like, you're still using this. And then he looked at it, and he was like, this is a really good agenda. And I was like, that's what I'm saying. Hello Kitty, hello. Um, But, so besides that, that is awesome. But I have been, so I have been doing this spinning class. This is like cycling and I've never done it before, but you go in, they turn the lights out, they play, like, all of the pop music that I never listened to. Like, I just heard Selena Gomez, I'm pretty sure, for the first time. And the class is taught by a cheerleader, so it's, like, total cheerleader, puppy motivation. And it's so not my normal rhythm, and I so dig it. So that is what I've been really into. That's awesome. So Baker and I yeah. will come and watch you do that, and <laughs> that's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so for we'll meet, all we'll meet up for lunch and dessert afterwards. <laughs> exactly, we'll we'll exercise that part with you. And you guys, these are such great things to share. And just real quick before we uh, finish up here, a few little announcements. You know, Fabeku, what's going on in your world? Where can people find you? Bree, any announcements you want to share? Come on, guys. Let's hear it. Go for Baker. Uh, Go for Baker. Yeah, yeah, no, for me, uh you can find me there. Uh I'm super active and accessible on Facebook. Uh don't even bother with Twitter. I'm not there ever. Um yeah, that's that's me. Yay. Awesome. And y'all can find me at BriannaSassi.com. Um, Spinning Gold continues to be open, and we're getting people coming in. And I'm so excited to see what the 2016 class is looking like. It's going to be awesome. And um, I just launched a new thing, Delphic Days, which actually happens next Monday. We're going to bring divination into civic discourse. I'm super pumped about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks amazing. It's going to be fun. All right. So what about you, Teresa? What's happening oh. in Tarot Lady Land? Well, of course, um, now the book is is being printed as we speak, the tarot coloring book. I'm going to be also doing a live tarot class at the World Domination Summit next month. There's still a few seats available, so if you are interested, go to the World Domination Summit, hit on Academies, and find my class and join. It's going to be a lot of fun. And also, I'm doing on Tuesday nights on Twitter. Sorry for Baku. I love me some Twitter. <laughs> I'm doing a tarot Twitter chat called Tarot Wrap. I've been testing it out for four weeks. It got really popular fast. So if you're into tarot, do join me there. It's Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock Central Time. So that's it. That's a wrap. And before we sign off, a real happy reminder. If you love Talking Shop, don't forget that you can listen to all of the previous shows for free. You can find that on you can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, or you can visit the Talking Shop archives at theterralady.com. Just go to the tab marked free resources, hop on down to podcasts. You'll see Talking Shop and all the jazz there and Bree, where can they find this on your page? You guys can just go to briannasassi.com, hit the Work With Me tab, and you will find Talking Shop and the archives page there. Okay, All right, that's everyone, that, that's it. <laughs> and next month, Bri? So please, everyone, join us again for another round of Talking Shop. We will be talking with Jacqueline Tierney about Lux Branding and upgrading your business on Wednesday, August 31st at 8 p.m. This will be really awesome, and this will be a really nice um, continuation of what we talked about tonight. 
um, you know, not getting afraid to, you know, make your brand really beautiful, right, and reflective of what you do and the value that you bring. So it's going to be great. Right on. And, you guys, until then, you can find me, Teresa, at thetarolady.com. And, Bree, where can they find you? Find me at com And, Fabeku, just tell everyone one more time where they can get you. Yep, Fabeku.com, uh, S as in fish, A-B-E-K-U.com. Thank you again so much for being here, Fabeku. And thank you, Bree, for being just the best co-host ever. I love you guys so much. We love you, too. You guys are the best. Yep, big love. And we love our audience. Thank you guys for listening. And just keep on taking action. We want to see you guys building these spiritual and mystical businesses. Good night. Good night, everyone.